Dr. Zidin will see you now. I'm your co-host, Dr. Otaku. Joining me today is my co-host, Drew. We're not real doctors, but if anime is your drug of choice, we've got the fix for you. podcast this is episode number eight originally we planned to talk about space battleship yamato 2199 the remake but since suzume no tojimari just had its first western theatrical release we thought it'd be special to review that first instead so if you're looking forward to our review of space battleship yamato don't worry we'll be reviewing that series in a future episode uh, just a brief announcement. Uh, Elliot is no longer joining us as a co-host at this time. We are very appreciative and thankful for his contributions to our podcast for the last seven episodes. Uh, we enjoyed his witty humor. We appreciated him helping us edit Gurren Logan, the, uh, the episode we reviewed Gurren Logan, and helping us launch our podcast. We wish him well in the future in his next endeavors, uh, and we welcome him back anytime as a guest or co-host. All right, once again, I'm your co-host, Dr. Otaku. Joining me today is my other co-host, Drew. Say hello to the listeners. Hello to the listeners. Exactly. Drew. (laughs) Hello. Uh, Today we have a special guest, Nathan, who is also our friend and who has seen Suzume in theaters with us. We thought it'd be nice to have uh, more perspectives on reviewing the movie, so we decided to invite him to come on. And uh, we like to try to incorporate more guests into our podcast in the future. So hello, Nathan. Say hello to everyone. Hello. Uh, Nathan, uh, hello, everyone. we're Glad just going to gonna ask you our typical sort of questions uh, that we would ask anybody. What is your experience with anime? Like, what is your anime origin story? Like, how did you discover anime, uh, and what did you? What do you typically like to watch? Okay, so I'm honestly not a big anime junkie, but, like, the means in which I discovered anime was that I basically grew up watching the Pokemon anime when I was a kid. And uh, cool. that pretty much, like, laid the foundation for, like... Mm, same with me. For, like, how I watch anime. Mm-hmm. And, like, the types of anime I like to watch are... Mostly anime based on video games I played, such as uh, Valkyria Chronicles and Scarlet Nexus. Ah. Yeah, and uh, speaking of video games, something I really respect about anime is that, like, anime is just simply another means that can be incorporated into video games to help better convey their stories. And uh, one way I've seen in which, is that, in which this is the case is pretty much through the Tale series, in which, on top of having, like, your typical 3D cutscenes, they pretty much use anime cutscenes to convey critical moments in the story. Given that the Tale series is a, a video game series known for its deep storytelling. And despite some opinions I've heard from friends in regards to like English dubs of anime, if I feel like the English voice actors are like the ones that I admire, such as Keith Silverstein and Steve Bloom, then I have no problems with ink- watching dubs. Alright, thank you for your thoughts. 
we are definitely open to differing opinions. What do you think, Drew, about... <laughs> You're very diplomatic about that. <laughs> I might be the old, most diplomatic on this on this podcast. What do you think, Drew? <laughs> what I is mean, our if view? if you want to watch your dubs, watch your dubs. Sure, sure. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I I don't know much of Shinkai dubs. I'll be honest. I have... I don't watch dubs. I mean, here's the thing. My My policy with dubs is I'm not going to say you can't watch dubs. I definitely don't watch dubs, but if you feel free to enjoy dubs, go ahead. Just know that I will judge you. <laughs> hey, you know, interesting. I mean, Nathan, what you honestly, gotta... if it, when it honestly when it comes to dubs of films such as Your Name, like the vo I guess the lead voice actors have a like the lead voice actors, uh, uh, Mike Michael Center Nicholas and Stephanie Shea have quite the reputation, so they pretty much know what they're doing. Ah. Uh. I personally don't have any affection for the English dubs in most anime I've seen, so those names don't really carry much weight with me. Hmm. I feel like the problem I... I have with dubs is that so many times the voice actors are trying to act like characters where you can tell that it's an adult trying to sound like a teen or whatever. Or they're trying to change the picture of their voice to try and match how the character looks on the screen. And I'm not saying that Japanese voices don't do that either, but I think because I'm not a native Japanese speaker, I probably don't notice it as much unless it's someone trying to do like a really whiny or squeaky little girl high-pitched voice or something. So for the most part, I, f I do think that the Japanese voices tend to simply act instead of trying to like pretend that they're a character, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. For sure. Uh, I th I think the only dub that I m maybe enjoyed w was like uh, Totoro's English dub. But it was like, that's a long time ago. I think it was like a teenager when I watched it. So uh, I think, yeah, dubs are like, yeah, like you said, Drew, sometimes they're trying too hard to convey a certain emotion uh, just doesn't translate well in English, you know. Sometimes in Japanese, the tone or the way they say it is just a lot more succinct, and it's better at. They're just better at uh, conveying certain emotions and expressions. So it yeah, doesn't I it doesn't translate like that well. Most dubs I I've heard, it, they don't. They're not very restrained. Whereas I think you'll find more restraint in the Japanese voice acting, typically. Yeah. It's almost of like... It a, also depends on the project, so it's yeah. different for everything. It's almost like an anime culture, too. It's like... Or like, like, like the media itself, we're like expecting them to be like overly enthusiastic or subtle. It's like... That's kind of what we expect from anime in in Japanese sub for the or like yeah. you know watching a sub. And maybe one of the things with English dubbed anime is because so many early English dubs that came out back in like when I was growing up in the nineties and I'd say even like through the early two thousand stuff, a lot of that stuff tended to be more shonen oriented or stuff that uh, was aimed at boys so it was just naturally a lot more shouty 
Yeah. So in, in those kind of shows, like even the Japanese voices can be pretty annoying because people are always screaming and, and things like that. But I, I feel like that might have led to a perception in American voice acting or English voice acting where people kind of treat like most anime the same way that they would treat those kind of shonen action shows where you're getting overly emotional for various scenes and it doesn't always really call for that. Like when you watch the Japanese voices in non-shonen shows, there's a lot more restraint in the acting. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, anyways, <laughs> let's get back to our uh, scheduled uh, program. <laughs> let's talk about, uh, basically, you know, let's talk about the history of the creator of Suzume. So Makoto Shinkai, let's talk a little bit about him because he's very, he's very influential as a director. He's very specific in how he makes films. So Drew, can you sort of just walk us through, like, why is Makoto Shinkai and his films, why are they so important to anime? That's a big question. I'll start off with <laughs> a brief uh, mini bio of his works, just to give an idea of his history in anime. Cool. So after graduating from university, Makoto Shinkai began working at Falcom, which is a video game developer. He started working there in about 1996, worked there for about five years and did some animation for FMV sequences in some of their games. Uh, I, don't, I didn't write down the names of the games that he specifically worked on, but there were RPGs and uh, opening cutscenes that he would uh, do the animation for those. While he was working there, he made a five-minute short film on his own called She and Her Cat. This was a, a black-and-white animated film that he animated himself, uh, all by himself. It won some awards and encouraged him to continue working on animation. In 2000, he began working on another, basically one-man production called Voices of a Distant Star. That one uh, was more ambitious. It was in full color, uh, had voice acting and, and music and things like that. He quit his job at Falcom in 2001 in order to devote his full attention to Voices of a Distant Star. Other than the music composer, a person named Tenmon, who also did music for several of his other films to come, and Shinkai's girlfriend, who voiced one of the characters, Voices of a Distant Star, was another pretty much one-man production. He did all the writing, uh, the storyboarding, the animation. So you can just imagine how long it would take one guy to animate a 25-minute movie. But he was dedicated to his work. It was released in 2002 and was well-received. Following that, his first full production feature film was The Place Promised in Our Early Days, which came out in 2004. That movie also marks the first time that he worked with a full team of animators and assistants and other production people. It was produced by Comics Wave Films. That's the production studio for pretty much all of Shinkai's subsequent movies as well. 
From there, the momentum of his career began to carry him forward. Five Centimeters Per Second came out in 2007. Children Who Chase Lost Voices followed in 2011. And The Garden of Words arrived in 2013. Now, all of these movies were critically acclaimed, but merely served as a preamble of what was yet to come. His biggest hit was Your Name, which was released in Japanese theaters in 2016. It proved to be a massive hit not only in Japan, but also internationally. It is one of the highest grossing films of all time in Japan, and for a while, it was the highest grossing anime film in the world. Although, I think it's since been supplanted by Demon Slayer, Mugen Train. Mm -hmm. Your Name was followed by Weathering With You in 2019, and of course, Suzume, which came out in Japan in late 2022, and which we recently had a chance to see here in America. That brings us to the present. Uh, he's primarily a film director. He's done some shorts here and there. But yeah, I'd, I'd say to your other question, Dr. Otaku, about yeah. what makes him so important. He is a major film director along the likes of like Mamoru Hosoda. Like, I think both of those guys are kind of regarded as like the next or this generation's Miyazaki. Yeah, and it's yeah. one of those things where, you know, anytime there's a, a younger director who starts making some great films, a Miyazaki comparison gets thrown out because, you know, he's like the most famous anime director. But there is something about both Hosoda and Shinkai where you can kind of see uh, why people would naturally be inclined to make that comparison. I don't think Shinkai himself really sees himself as the next Miyazaki or anything like that. Yeah. But his films do get a lot of critical attention and commercial success as well. I mean, your name is just, that was a hit, you know, that was a phenomenon when it came out. And I think because of that, Weathering With You and, and Suzume have a lot of attention on them as well. Yeah. So I think uh, I share this with you guys and some other people that watched the film with me. Crunchyroll recently released an interview with Makoto Shinkai a couple weeks ago. He focuses primarily on Suzume, but he also sort of talks about his process in making it. And to summarize, he says that, uh, you know, I, I want to improve on every film as I make them. You know, I want each film subsequently to be better than the than the last one so like yeah what do you think about uh what do you guys think about shinkai and how he sort of crafts each film uh as he continues to make more of his works uh nathan i think you had some thoughts on it yeah well i guess part of him building making like producing better work from from what he's done previously involves like using the same narrative the same or similar narrative structure like mm -hmm. in his previous films mm. uh what do you guys think is like a common thread in in his films or sort of what is like narrative devices what do you think drew well i'd say there are quite a few things that carry over throughout most of his movies there are certain visual trademarks that I would say 
characterize his directorial style. Like the the biggest thing to me is probably the heavily detailed backgrounds, the realism of the scenery, like just how much effort he has or how much effort he puts into all of the backgrounds and just the visual aspects, the lighting effects. He's really known for using a lot of beautiful lighting effects. Yeah. I was watching uh, another interview. It was an interview he did for The Place Promised in our early days. So, you know, his first major feature film. And he was talking about how when he was a youth, when he was a an adolescent, um, he was kind of like, I, I don't know. I guess he the way he described himself was like kind of angsty or, you know, a kid that just dealt with feeling... Um, you know, dark thoughts or alienation and things like that, you know, probably like normal teenage boy stuff. But he said that during his times of uh, feeling down, he would just look around and take in the scenery, uh, just nature, you know, nature. Um, he would like to go on trains and stare yeah. outside the window and focus on the world outside, you know, and those would be things that would really cheer him up and lift his spirits. So because of that, he said that he's always tried to uh, transfer that emotion into his films so that when people look at just the visuals of the world that he makes, people will be, you know, transported somewhere else or, you know, it'll take their mind off whatever is troubling them. So you you do definitely see a lot of detailed backgrounds in his works a lot of there's a lot of trains and train stations in general for sure i mean like he it's almost to the point where he sort of fetishizes them like most of his movies have some kind of like really intense focus on trains for some reason and not i wasn't really sure why but until i saw that interview that kind of helped me put things together because it was something that i guess he just liked riding trains when he was young probably as an adult too i bet yeah I think from I just rewatched the interview today. From he he mentions like he'll just take a ticket, go somewhere, stay at an inn, just yeah, like you said, observe the scenery. He said he can't do it as much now, but he I think he actually did travel to some of these places when making Suzume. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of his movies. If you look at the uh, behind the scenes stuff or the the bonus materials and the Blu-rays and whatnot, like they'll show you where uh or the locations where in the animators would take photo references to draw the scenes and or draw the scenery they definitely did a lot of on location scouting to different places and they used those photos to help themselves draw really accurate scenery super detailed stuff yep uh but in terms of like themes or ideas that i feel are common in his movies I'd probably say the biggest things are are uh number one coming of age because most of his stories are about uh teenagers and then secondly I think most of his movies are about some kind of separation or distance between characters and each one kind of explores that in a different way but it's always like an interesting angle. And when you view all his movies cumulatively, you do get 
a deeper appreciation for what he's trying to convey about the human condition and our our need for companionship. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of his films, and mostly people know your name or Weathering with You. But yeah, if you want to if you want to go back and check out any of the things Drew mentioned, Place Promise in our early days, oh. uh, five centimeters per second. Wait, which is the one you said that may not be as uh, appropriate for all ages? <laughs> <laughs> I think they're all generally appropriate for all ages. I'd probably say some of some of them might not be too interesting for younger people who just uh, want to see okay. action. Like there's, yeah, I would say all of his early movies up to your name with the exception of Children Who Chase Lost Voices, okay, all yeah. of his other movies, I would say, tend to be a little slower paced and they're more along the lines of being contemplative or thoughtful. Like, for instance, Five Centimeters Per Second is about a relationship over a period of many years and they're essentially like three sections of the movie and each section focuses in on a different time period of 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 life so like it starts off with these two kids and i think they're either in uh elementary or middle school and they kind of you know have like a little budding romance thing going on but then one of them moves away and then Mm -hmm. we come back we skip a little bit and then we we see them uh, or we see one of them in high school and and how that relationship has changed because you know they were writing letters or emails and things like that to keep in touch and then you skip a little bit more ahead to when the guy is in his 20s and working a job and you know how over time like this little romance that he had when he was a kid how does that change um so it's not really something that's going to be very action oriented it's more of a a character drama Uh. so you know there are things where i think people who who just like good storytelling will find them appealing, but people who like if it's a younger person who needs like flashy action or explosions or things, it's they're not really like those kinds of movies. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah, what do you if think? Anything? Uh, I would. I might say that the Garden I mean, of I Words. Have... Oh no, go ahead, Nathan. Nathan? Oh, I personally have not watched a watched any of. Any of Shinkai's uh, previous films, such as like Before Your Name, so yeah. But I will say that there's like a lot of commonalities between like the there. I guess something a trend I observed like in what Shinkai tries to explore in his storytelling is that like oh, it usually starts out with the protagonist, well the protagonists mm-hmm. of those films like seeking like like seeking the break free of like the normalness of their lives. Yeah, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Nathan. Also, I'm not sure how common the whole phenomenon. I'm not sure how explored. I'm not. I'm not sure how many times Shinkai explores the whole storytelling device of like boy meets girl in all of his films. But like, I did previously mention that like he's kind of like he wants to move on. Move, he wants to do something different beyond that. At least what I heard, that's why at least I heard him saying is one of his comments after mm-hmm. su- after the release of Suzume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he does have like a, you know, he, it's very interesting. I noticed, at least just watching Weathering With You and Your Name Again, he has a female protagonist 
I mean, they're not always the main protagonist, right? But he focuses a lot on on them, I think. Whereas the like the male protagonist is developed, but is not always as fully flushed out. I think he focuses more on the coming of age of of, of the the girl, the teenage girls that he brings out. At least in those three films, that's what I noticed. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I would say that all of the films, all of his films, with the exception of Children Who Chase Lost Voices tend to be stories about teen romance yeah like voices of a distant star is about it's a science fiction story where the couple uh are in they live in this future where there's a far-off space war and then the girl ends up becoming a mech pilot she has to go far away so she travels all these light years away but because of you know relativity uh, they can't really communicate in real time anymore. So like the boys on Earth trying to talk to this girl um, and he's aging at a normal pace, whereas she's like traveling light years, um, not being able to respond for, you know, for what's to him like months at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that distance between them. Uh, Place Promised is a story about Three friends, uh, two boys and and a girl who make a promise to each other when they're in grade school, and then like years later, try to fulfill that promise. Uh, five centimeters per second. Like I said, it starts off with two kids as you know having this cute little kid romance and growing up with that. The Garden of Words. That I was gonna say. That's the one that has <laughs> some things that. It's like borderline questionable. Questionable, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. like it, it goes up to the line, and I, I think it leaves it ambiguous, and you kind of have to decide for yourself if it's gross or not. But it's it's actually about a teacher in like her twenties and a high school student, and they end up meeting each other on a rainy day in a gazebo uh, at a park. And they form a relationship. And I'm not saying it's like a romantic relationship or anything. It's just that they they just see each other there regularly and they start uh, talking to each other. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, the way that movie ends, I, I think it could be implied that there might be something there. But maybe there's a way to read it as something more innocent. I don't... I'd have to rewatch it. But... It's, you know, I'd probably say the common interpretation is that there probably is like something romantic implied because at least I don't know if it's reciprocated by the older character, but the teenage boy definitely seems to have some kinds of feelings for her. Mm -hmm. And Children Who Chase Lost Voices, that's probably the exception to the rule because it's not really, I mean, there is a female protagonist and there's also a secondary male character it's not really a romance story though ah uh, yeah I there think... is something i read once that i thought was pretty funny because yoshiki tomino uh one of the other you know great directors of anime he's the guy who created mobile suit gundam or directed Mo- the original mobile suit gundam as well as various other gundam shows and and movies and yeah, other stuff. But I remember 
he was talking in some interview. They were asking him about modern anime, and he was talking about Shinkai's works, and he says that he described them as, and I quote, stories about a boy and a girl who are always stretching out their hands towards each other, and yet the boy's hand never reaches the girl's crotch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, that's not, not your quote, so. Yeah, but I, I think what he was trying to convey is that there's always like this, like, innocent quality to Shinkai's films that may not fully be reflective of teenage life. Yeah. There's something generally chaste about how he portrays, how Shinkai portrays his romance in his stories. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, certainly agree. <laughs> Especially seeing that, like, in his last three films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are movies that, you know, I don't think would be too questionable. Yeah. It's interesting how he, like, flips the dynamic of the romance from In Weathering With You in Suzume. Oh, I see. So Weathering yeah, With like You. because, like, in Weathering With You, it, it's the, the girl who has some kind of special ability. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, the boy's kind of, like, chasing after her. And then in, mm-hmm. in Suzume, the male character, he has that ability to see all the spiritual stuff that's going on and then the girl's kind of chasing after him after he turns into a chair and you know helping him on his journey basically yeah it does he does do exactly. a lot of that i was just gonna say maybe because he has a daughter shinkai kind of like makes that kind of stories these idealisms who knows i don't know i'm speculating mm. <laughs> i don't know maybe it's like reflected in his work as a parent or something his ideal who knows? Maybe just a romantic dude. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. It's definitely something that he's fascinated by and he's compelled to continue to make movies about romance. Yeah. I do think with Suzume, though, it's it's not... The romantic element is a little bit secondary compared to mm-hmm. something like Your Name. Yeah. And that might be a reason why I think, at least in my eyes, it the romance is a little bit more appealing or it seems more effective. Okay. For sure. Yes, I certainly agree that the romantic aspect is a bit downplayed. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm just going to give our uh this IMDb <laughs> description. The basic premise of Suzume if you haven't watched it is it's a modern action adventure road story where a 17-year-old girl named Suzume helps the mysterious young man Sota, closed doors from the other side that are releasing disasters all over in Japan. So yeah, Drew, why don't you lead us off? What were you, what are your spoiler-free first impressions or when you watched it? Man, it was something I liked a lot. I think because I've watched all his other movies, I generally hold him in high regard. Yeah. Well, not generally. I definitely hold him in high regard. Yeah, I, me too. I like his stuff a lot mm-hmm. and Suzume, to me, it it felt like a pretty big culmination of all of his previous works. Like I felt like it has a lot of the deeper themes that I appreciate, like dealing with loss and, of course, uh, separation and distance. Like those are the things that he tends to write stories about. 
I was going to say earlier about Children Who Chase Lost Voices. Like, that's my favorite Shinkai movie. Oh, cool. And that's the one, yeah, that's the one that's about a girl who goes into um, this fantasy world, basically. Like, I don't know. Some, I guess it's kind of like a Narnia or something, you could say. Yeah. And it's it's the realm of the dead, and she's hoping that she can f- uh, find her dead father. And there's also another character, you know, she'll meet other characters there. And, and like one of the other main characters is looking for his deceased spouse, you know, and, and like the story in that movie is centered around searching for a loved one who has passed on. Mm-hmm. And I f- felt like that movie was just very moving. So to see Shinkai come back to that theme uh in Suzume, like there's something about it that like automatically evokes certain feelings from me. And then on top of that, I, I think with Suzume, he also takes what he learned from your name and weathering with you in terms of spectacle and he applies the spectacle to this one. So like Suzume is this story that has a lot of uh deeper th- themes and contemplative moments it's got his trademark focus on scenery and highly detailed realistic backgrounds but it also has a lot of spectacle it's well paced it's entertaining it's just a fun movie to watch but it's also got stuff to make you think about life and you know reflect on things yeah what did you think, Nathan? What did you think when you when you watched the film? Hmm. Well, I thought that like, hmm. well, personally, I thought that Susan May was like was definitely Shinkai. I thought that Susan May was actually a uh, very. I thought that Susan May was actually very mysterious when, at first, like, I wonder where Shinkai and it just made me think. I wonder what's the main emphasis and as. A, I was watching it, it just made me wonder, oh, I wonder what's the focus going to be this time in his regards to regards to his uh, whole boy meets girl kind of storytelling aspect. And it honestly, like, I mean, given that, like, I mean, it's clear that in the title that, like, Susan May as, as the character is the prime focus. And, and it makes, and it really intrigues me that, like, as to why Shinkai chose to like make this film like ep- make this f- film to be eponymous compared to like his previous two films like like Your Name and Weathering with You. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, like like meta wise, it makes me think about like Shinkai using like the name of the protagonist just to convey his film. Like it makes it a lot more suspenseful compared to his previous two films. Oh, it's a good point. I did feel a more yeah, like unlike his previous few films, like feeling. yeah, like his previous few films, like convey like subtly convey the plot just by the title alone, like your name and weathering with you. But Suzume, it doesn't give us any, it doesn't subtly convey the plot to the viewers who to viewers who never watched the film in the first place. And that's what I yeah, that's my first impression. Oh, great! Thanks, Nathan. Thanks, Drew. What was yours? I didn't know what to expect like i only watched you know ads on youtube and it's just i mean most people have seen it by now hopefully if you haven't seen it 
you can go watch it. But if you watch any ad on YouTube, it's just she is going into a mysterious place with a door. There's a dude who's there also, and then somehow she he turns into a chair. And then, like that was all I thought <laughs> when I when my uh before I watched it. In terms of after watching it, yeah, I really enjoyed the film. I think it did have that more mysterious feeling of I don't know what to expect, and I'm just like kind of discovering the plot as I go along. I like how Shinkai sort of does the show not tell type of storytelling. Like, he includes details to just let me sort of figure out the plot as I discover, you know, through conversation, through dialogue, through the scenery. Uh, yeah, I think I really appreciated his direction in this one. He was very specific about the places he chose. I, I think he mentions that as an interview. They're to, like, reflect, like, real-life places in Japan. Uh, I mm -hmm. appreciate his music bringing the rad wimps back. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that next. Uh, but yeah, he makes these like really artful choices, even like how people walk and he like pans in on the, the shoes and the feet. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I really liked that. Like Suzume is. Yeah, le le I, I mean, there is some romance there, but it's, like, less about that. It's more about, like, a girl's journey in, like, in a, in a, in a real sense, like, accepting some of her, some of the losses in her life. And how do mm -hmm. I, how do I grow up and how do I connect with my younger self and, you know, tell myself it's going to be okay. So, yeah, I think Suzume is a great film, but I did recently watch Your Name. And maybe because I'm like a sucker for those like romantic and like silly hijinks, yeah. the gimmicks. I think your name is definitely my favorite. But I would say, uh, until I watch all his other films, <laughs> I would say I'd I would rank it like your name and then Suzume and then Weathering with You, and then I'll check out his other stuff and see what I think. But definitely enjoyed Suzume a lot. Uh, it's got some really nice messages about like youth and and how you can deal with the things that are going on in your life mm -hmm. yeah so now i guess we could jump yeah. right into and spoiler full like... review <laughs> sorry what did you say nathan oh yeah shinkai does a good job at like showing and like showing not telling with suzume by the title alone yeah for sure yeah we talked about oh, i talked about radwimps what do you think drew what do you think about and even in the interview, he says, like, oh, I feel bad because Radwimps, they're so amazing. But I needed to, like, give detailed discussion with them about he even mentions, like, so much detail is like he has to have the drum beat pause half a second early or the, little, mm -hmm. you know, like that kind of stuff. What do you think about his musical direction for Suzume specifically? You know, that doesn't surprise me that he'd want to be that involved in the production. Because yeah. from what I know of his previous movies, he had his fingers in like everything. And I mm -hmm. think that's why when people consider him as a director, he's kind of viewed as more of that auteur type, you know, like the kind of guy who is really so focused on making the final product that he has to have his fingers in every element of production. Because yeah. I think he not only 
writes the script. He also storyboards the movies. I don't know if he storyboarded Suzume in its entirety by himself, but I know he's done that for his earlier films. Yeah. I also know that for some of his other movies, which also tend to have a strong emphasis on music, he there are some movies where he had a vocal song at the end of the for the end credits. Right, like again, going back to the place promised in our early days, and sorry, I got distracted. There was a there was a crazy shadow right outside my window. <laughs> I thought like, <laughs> no problem. I thought some guy was like jumping in front oh, of me. Oh man! But it was just a, a really big bird. <laughs> That's funny. It's all right. But yeah, he was talking about uh, the place promised in our early days and the ending theme song for that movie. He actually wrote the lyrics himself, so that the words would convey exactly what he wanted them to convey and that they would be sung at the exact moment he wanted the song to begin at the end of the movie. Mm. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me when you tell me that he was giving directions to Radwimps, who are, you know, they're a veteran rock band. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's good that they've worked together so much. They probably have a familiarity with each other and and mutual respect. So. Um, compared to the other two movies that they did together, I think Suzume has more haunting soundtrack. I was like, gonna it say it's it's really haunting, yeah. especially that main yeah. theme in the trailer. Mm-hmm. This is the only reason I'd recommend watching a trailer for a movie because it like hooks you on the the music of the film. Yeah, yeah. It's like Black like Panther. Name... <laughs> <laughs> Wakanda. <laughs> anyway, sorry, sidetrack. <laughs> I feel like your name. The music in your name is great, yeah. but it, it really does sound like a veteran rock band uh-huh. doing a movie soundtrack, you know? Like, it, it's got that that rock band sound to it, mm-hmm. and I felt the same about Weathering With You. Like, the music is still great. Like, I definitely yeah. listen to the soundtracks on their own pretty regularly, and the vocal songs are just super catchy, but with Weathering With You, I, I thought the instrumental pieces were... It felt like more like a movie score than just music that happens to be playing in the, in the background of a scene, you know? For sure. Nathan, any thoughts on the, the music? How Did it draw you in? Did it increase your enjoyment of the film? I honestly don't have too much to say about the music, but like... Hmm. Didn't really pay too much attention to it, to be honest. Ah, uh, okay. You, you were absorbed in the visuals yeah, and the story. Yeah, but from watching the interview, I yes. Hmm. Maybe it did its job then. Maybe it was but, like like so cohesive. <laughs> yeah, it sounded like uh, Dinkai was really meticulous in how he wanted the music to be executed. As he said during the interview about like, oh, delaying a drum beat by half a second. Hmm. I mean, I'm no music, like I'm no music expert, but like. It sounds like he had, but it sounds like he was so uh, so invested in the story that he wanted the music to be able to convey like a certain feeling. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would just say that. Yeah, like that's kind of why I think people might compare him to Miyazaki. Um, obviously, Miyazaki has uh, what uh, Joe Hisaishi to help yeah, him with Joe his Hisaishi. film. Um, so yeah, he's got another person for that. Well, I mean, Radwimps too, but. But yeah, you know, it's like a different thing when you have like a composer or somebody who's like 
influential in those. I guess, yeah, he, the attention to the music is my point. It's what makes yeah. these and films. For his earlier films, Shinkai, Shinkai's musical composer was a guy named Tenmon who focused on piano pieces. So like that, that dude did voices, plays Promised, Five Centimeters, and Children Who Chase Lost Voices. I think The Garden of Words. Oh, okay. I can't remember, but yeah, basically like all the movies up until your name was, those are Tenmon and yeah. yeah, the last three have been Radwimps. So you can definitely see that Jinkai has specific musical preferences and people that he likes to work with over and over. Okay. Good to know. Oh yeah. I will say that Radwimps does a good job at like providing that like providing that suspenseful aesthetic for Suzume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just the humming at the beginning of that song is just enough to draw convey suspense for like the viewer. Yeah. Yeah. It's like drawing you into a world. Uh you don't quite know where they're gonna go, but you're like excited, I think, to feel like you're a part of the journey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, uh, yeah. well, let's just jump into talking about, I mean, we talked about it before, but like animation, specifically the photorealism. Sometimes I watch, like, especially this film is like, ah, oh, the flowers and the sky. How does he do it? How does he make it so real? It's like yeah. I'm walking into that field with her. That's like, yeah, great. Those animators draw every freaking blade of grass. Yeah. Ridiculous. I mean, they probably take pictures and just, like, use references and stuff. Yeah, they definitely use a lot of pictures. But on the screen, it, it just looks great. Yeah. Because we've definitely seen plenty of other lower-profile anime that have detailed backgrounds. But you, in in those instances, you can still tell that they're heavily photo-traced or whatever. Whereas I, I think Shinkai's movies, because they probably have more time to spend on a frame... They look, even though they're crazy detailed and photorealistic, they mm. still look like they're lively and part of the film rather than just these static images that have a filter on them. Yeah. You know, there's so many mm. details we could talk about. You know, him choosing the chair to have three legs and the eyes. He even weaves that into the story. Uh, the cat. <laughs> I think everyone will love that film specifically for the cat as well. There's always like in each film like one gimmicky character that you're gonna remember. It's like that. <laughs> I feel like um, Shinkai just loves cats because uh, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of his movies have cats in them. Oh yeah, for some your reason. name too. Yeah. Was that weathering would with you, you? Would you rather buy a plushie of the cat or would you rather buy a three-legged chair? I don't know. That's a good question. I do like cats. <laughs> what about you, Nathan? What <laughs> would, <laughs> would you want? What kind of like uh, <laughs> paraphernalia <laughs> would you want from this film? Mm, let me see. Yeah, definitely the three-legged chair. The scene where Suzume like basically tells the two kids that like, oh, Sota is basically like a chair with like AI. It's really funny. Oh yeah, that's a good one. And just to note, now we are diving straight into spoilers. So if you haven't watched Suzume, go watch it. I think it's still out in, in theaters in the West. So just go watch it. 
All right. Anything else you guys want to mention about his animation skills? I mean, we all feel like we all know how gritty is at making stuff come alive. Yeah, the other thing is the character animation. Yeah. Beautiful backgrounds only take you so far. Mm -hmm. Being able to draw great character animation with convincing acting, that takes a lot of skill too. And I think a big part of that probably is because of the immaculate storyboarding. Just being able to convey um, characters' emotions just through their eyes or through really subtle head nod or whatever you know like just little gestures that are easily overlooked but make the characters feel like actors as opposed to just drawings across the screen there's also a lot of hyper realistic lighting effects like lens flare like all this flashy stuff that i think will just make your eyes drool you know yeah all the action stuff is super well drawn super smooth and fluid the flashiness of the explosions and everything is gonna, you know, perk your eyes and just make you wanna. If you had, you know, if you had your own copy, you would totally pause it and rewind it or just admire the different, um, different cuts. Yeah, for sure. I I, mean, I even thought about how does he animate a chair to look like it's alive. Yeah. It's like running in one of these scenes up some weird I don't it was like running up a a tower or something and it jumped as if it was an animal. And I was like Yeah, it's clever stuff. It made me feel like this chair is really yeah, it's really a human's trapped in a chair. Uh do you want to add something, yeah. Nathan? So what I yeah, what really stands out to me is that like oh, like basically uh how Shinkai basically portrays like the sky, like mm-hmm. given how like yeah, like I've seen the like oh like the slightly dark the slightly darkened sky like in like that land beyond is like kind of gives me vibes to like from when like from like, when Taki and Mitsuha like first meet like in your name first meet in person in your name. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, personally, I get like I get a lot of Mitsuha vibes from Suzume's character design. Mm. For some uh. reason, teenage yeah. schoolgirl. The ribbon. Yeah. We'll talk about the ribbon later. <laughs> I have thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just to like keep us on track, I just wanted to brief or yeah mention the historical significance. And I'm no expert, so I'm just using Wikipedia for brevity. <laughs> uh, if anyone, yeah, if anyone is an expert on the history of the Tohoku uh, earthquake and tsunami, then you can correct me. Um, Just from Wikipedia. Look, look, Dr. Otaku, (laughs) if you get any details wrong about the 2011 earthquake, we don't need other people to come in and offer corrections. All we got to do is go to the Wikipedia and edit the Wikipedia entry to match what you say. Wikipedia is the most reliable source Exactly. Exactly. Anyways... I'll just sort of introduce it because in his interview, Shinkai references the real event. 2011, there was a three point, uh, is this correct? Three point, no, 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 no sorry. Let's, I, I'm not going to quote how big the, because I don't think, I think it was like a nine point something. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. 9.0, 9.1. 
undersea yeah. mega thrust earthquake is is what Wikipedia says. So basically, what happened was it's the most powerful earthquake ever recorded in Japan. I don't, I can't fact check that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, it affected the Tohoku Iwate <clears throat> Prefecture. I don't know all these locations. I'm not Japanese. I never grew up there. I never visited there. But uh, he does mention like area that was affected by the tsunami and it caused the meltdown of three of its reactors in Fukushima, which I believe is a is a province mm-hmm. there. So yeah, a lot of people died. It was about 19,759 deaths. Uh, 6,242 were injured and there was 2,553 uh, people missing. So it really affected the nation. And Shinkai mentions in his interview, like, he felt like, what am I doing making anime? You know, it doesn't seem that important anymore. But I think a mm-hmm. lot of that influenced his work. And he, he even goes as far as to say, like, Suzume it, canonically is is living through this as her history, as her childhood history. And I think it's confirmed in the in the I don't know if it's confirmed like verbally in the film, but like her mom Suzume's mom like passed away because of that tsunami. Yeah. I wanna say watching the movie Yeah, I have to go back and watch uh, it. The the way that all of that all of those details unfolded was pretty masterful because when I first started watching it, it didn't occur to me that he would actually make a reference to the 2011 earthquake. Yeah. And that's something that's still fairly vivid in my mind cuz uh well, I'm I'm older than you guys, so I remember the sort of uh, media. all the news when it happened. Yeah. And then I've I've also read some stuff about the specifically the Fukushima nuclear disaster and the mm-hmm. cleanup efforts there, so it's a little bit fresher in my mind. Yeah. Uh, but watching the movie, like he doesn't explicitly exposit early on in the film that all the things that are happening is are a result of an earthquake, or that the earthquake was a happenstance of the gigantic spirit worm escaping through the door, or that the destructed or the destroyed town uh, that we see Suzume in at the beginning of the movie is it's like that because of the tsunami. Yeah. Like he doesn't explicitly say that, but when you pay attention to the movie, then it becomes clear that's what he's referencing. And I was like, wow, that's, I mean, like, I guess you can quibble, or I guess it's possible to quibble about the the notion of using like a real life disaster or tragedy as a yeah. baseline for your fiction. But I mean, personally, I, I think he did it in a respectful way that wasn't just, you know, trivializing something at all mm-hmm. but actually like yeah like what you were saying uh when you talked about his interview it's like using that event as a springboard to explain why even in the face of like massive natural disasters and destruction there's still a place for art yeah and how art can restore people's hopes or imaginations or just encourage people or you know make them feel something that will hopefully uh, affect them 
into making actual change in the real world, you know? And I, yeah. I think when the when the movie kind of reveals to us that it was the 2011 earthquake that got Suzume's uh, family or her mom, mm -hmm. like I was pretty struck by that. I wasn't I wasn't expecting it at all. Yeah, that's a big plot point too for her in the film. Yeah, what is, what is the old saying like art reflects life? Even uh, Shinkai himself admits, like, I wasn't trying to create, you know, this historical narrative, but I, I wanted to start from a coming-of-age story about a girl, and then it just kind of naturally happened where, you know, this is this is what he wanted to show, that Suzume is, like, living in our world, in a parallel mm -hmm. world, of course, where worms mm -hmm. go through space and create natural disasters. <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, Nathan, do you have anything to, to talk about, like, when you found that out about the earthquakes? Yeah, I thought it was, like, very intriguing how he connected, like, how in, like, in the universe, mm -hmm. he connected, like, in universe, he connected the 2011 Tohoku earthquake to, like, some kind of mysterious, super mysterious worm that only Suzume and Soda could see, but, like, the rest of the world cannot. So, I feel like Shinkai definitely takes it further from his previous films by, like, adding that supernatural element to, to Suzume. In contrast yeah. to, like, your name and Why the Ring with you. Yeah. Although, spoilers. Should I spoil it, Drew? <laughs> spoil. I thought you... we're already in spoiler okay. territory. No, you for the other anything. films. <laughs> okay, spoil yeah. for your name and Okay, I'm just going to, yeah. Your name is pretty weird. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if time travel is not supernatural, I don't know what is. And uh, Weathering with you, girl who controls <laughs> rain or sunshine. I mean, but... I get your yeah. point. Yeah, it, I mean, a lot of his movies do have that supernatural element, yeah. but they also, a lot of them also have something to do with natural disasters yeah. as well. Yeah. Because in your name, there's that whole comet thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then in Weathering With You, I mean, the city gets flooded. So, yeah. Yeah, like those are two pretty big ones. Mm. Um, the Place Promised in Our Early Days, there's a, it's, I guess it's not a natural disaster, mm -hmm. but basically like there's a a crazy war that took place that ended up uh dividing the nation of Japan uh under control of foreign powers so like there's definitely things in his movies that kind of speak to a lot of uh more relevant social issues that i think are pertinent to the, they probably make more sense to a native japanese person who kind of lived lives through those kind of things and the commentary is probably more apparent, but um, for us as Americans who view these movies and try to think about them, you know, there's there's still something about how using these natural disasters uh, to function as a sort of uh, foundation for the plot. I feel like we still get what he's saying, you know, maybe it. It doesn't resonate as deeply as it would if we had lived in the country and experienced the things that they experienced. Mm -hmm. But with just some understanding, we can imagine what it's like. And mm -hmm. I think his films do a good job of helping us picture that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like the fact that Shinkai just like 
bounced off of the 2011 Tohoku earthquake as a plot point for, like, as a plot point is really meant to convey the audience how, like, natural disasters can, uh, can subtly affect the lives of, like, those who are, like, living in the midst of them, as seen with Suzume and her backstory. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just imagine how many real orphans there are because of what happened then. Yeah. I'd like to say, like, part of the reason why this film is probably so influential in Japan is, yeah, people who grew up there probably had a much more of a experience with this than we... Yeah, I mean, 12 years isn't that long if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, it's not that long. Um, Let's just jump right into... What do we think about Suzume and her character design or just her her backstory? What did you guys think when you first like saw this teenage girl? Oh, and Sh- Shinkai likes to do this, right? He likes to wake us up from a dream. I feel like a lot of times. <laughs> I thought that's yeah. It's it's good storytelling. It's a good effective device. But yeah, what did you what did you guys think in that first scene? Is like oh, she's like talking to somebody. I thought it was like, yeah, she was going to talk to her mother who died. But of course, later in the film, we find out it's not. But yeah, what do you guys think? <laughs> the same thing as you. I, I think that's kind of how the film wants to set us yeah. up so that the twist at the end will mm-hmm. be more surprising. Yeah. Yeah, I'm honestly not surprised there. Like, he kind of mm. does, like, it sounds pretty cliche that, like, that he would somehow have the protagonist wake up from a dream, wake up from a dream, and just somehow get ready for school, as previously seen in your name. To be honest, I questioned this when I saw it after the film, like right after. I was like, why does this like girl just see this random dude walking down the street and decide to like, I'm gonna skip school, or did she skip school, <laughs> or is it after school? I don't know. But she I, skips oh, school. Okay, <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna skip school to visit this weird dangerous ruin that i've never been there before because <laughs> some dude was like i'm gonna go open a door <laughs> what did you mm-hmm. guys think like you think that? yeah i i thought it was like yeah i thought that was pretty strange as well but like well curiosity killed the cat it is a plot yeah. device after all yeah i mean if she if she just said well there he goes on his way. I'm just going to go to school and treat it like another normal day. We wouldn't really have a movie here. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it didn't bother me that much, but I mean, it's like, oh, yeah. It, it seemed like a little bit uh, different than his other films. I feel like his other films, at least in like Your Name, there's always like a reason why somebody's going someplace, doing something. But yeah, other than that, uh, I enjoyed her character design. You know, you got... I mean, he loves bikes. I mean, I I assume in Japan, as a teenager, it's just easier to ride a bike everywhere you go. (laughs) And they're always wearing their school uniform. That's big, you know. It's like Mm -hmm. a cultural thing. Yeah. I think, like, her... Even him just, like, flashing that, like, oh, she's studying nursing. And then you find out, like, her mom was a nurse. It, like, adds, like, layers of, like, oh, this girl is still really attached to the past and like she really she's like trying to move on but there's a part of her still like stuck there yeah because she's like Like, yeah if you're four years old and you lose your parent it's like you didn't you know you only have the memories of like before you know those brief memories mm -hmm. you're trying to grasp for like some kind of connection 
All right, Sota, the mysterious man, the closer. We don't really get a lot of lore for, like, why these people exist, but, like, they exist so that Japan doesn't die. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, what do we think about his design and, and like, he's just ra- randomly walking down the street? What do you guys yeah. think? Yeah, I would say that Sota really embodies, like, the long-haired... It's pretty much the epitome of like the long-haired, like ma- long-haired male protagonist compared, in contrast to like, in contrast to like Taki and Hodaka from, from your your name and Wedding You respectively, yeah. Like long hair is definitely what stood out to me. What do you mean? Like, what, expand on that. <laughs> yeah, like given that. You mean he's cooler? <laughs> yeah, better like, looking. Well, <laughs> yeah, I think the long. Well, honestly, when it comes to anime guys, like I'm pretty sure, like. The steer. Well, I'm pretty sure, like a lot of, a good number of protagonists have like, like medium length spiky hair. But like Sota is like different visually. What stands out to me about Sota visually is like he has like longer hair. Uh, hmm. What do you think, Drew? <laughs> I guess if anything, it kind of conveys the impression of him being, uh, older. Older, more mature. Yeah. More yeah. Mature. I mean, I don't, I don't know if. If there's like a dress code or something like that for st- students and who are still in high school or whatever, yeah. But uh, Soda definitely car- comes across as slightly older than a high school student. And then you know, obviously, we learn in the movie he's a college age young adult. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if the long hair really symbolizes anything to me beyond him just being. Uh, I don't know, more carefree, maybe even not exactly wild, but just yeah, older, I guess. Yeah, he's got a nice, he got a unique design. I think um, he's almost like wearing this like lab coat or whatever, or this like trench coat. Trench coat. Yeah, it, it's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, we find out later he wants to become a teacher. Maybe he's like academic. Where or maybe he just likes long trench coats. I don't know. <laughs> and then he's you know, do you ever question like why is he just like walking places? Like, is this dude like if he really wanted to do his job more effectively, he'd probably pick a better mode of transportation. You should get a segue. Yeah. It's like, oh I I uh I was too late to close the door. Now the world is gonna end. I was like, bro, just get a yeah, just get some kind of motorcycle or something. Man. Yeah, something. <laughs> Any, you're like, if you you're not you're slacking, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, and then we got uh, Suzume's aunt. You know, uh, we can mm-hmm. just talk about Tamaki. Yeah, she apparently the wiki says she's forty years old. Uh, yeah. That tracks. That makes sense to me based on like, yeah, the energy that she gives out. She was probably my favorite character in the movie because just the she radiates that forty year old single adult vibe that <laughs> I feel all too deeply, you know. Oh man! <laughs> and I I do love my stories about single parents. Yeah, and her relationship with Suzume is essentially she's her mom. Yeah, and there is a reveal later. Of like, you know, they're kind of both forced to to have that relationship, right? Suzume yeah. talks about it 
Mm-hmm. It's like it wasn't my choice, and I think even Tamaki mentions it too. And there's that whole weird, I think, well, basically, like yeah, uh, the, the influence of that other cat, the cat, yeah, the cat's going around and causing trouble. And then there's the cat is apparently has a mother cat, but yeah, anyways, yeah, there's a dialogue that, yeah, between that, them. That whole dialogue you're talking about that was something that yeah. was the highlight of the movie for me yeah it was like weird the, it was like almost like some kind raw of raw emotions possession yeah mm-hmm. it was just like flowing out of them mm-hmm. uh like they both realize like they love each other but there's a lot of baggage emotionally that they haven't yeah. been able to talk about for like 12 years sorry mm-hmm. nathan do you have anything to add about that yeah, it's definitely a contrast to. Yeah, I guess the relationship bet- between Susan May and her aunt is definitely a contrast between like Hodaka and his father in Weathering with You. Mm, yeah, point. whereas like, yeah, because like the prime, yeah, the primary reason why Hodaka runs away from home is that like he wants to get away from like, like get away from his like controlling father. Whereas mm. like the only reason why Susan May just pretty much runs away like. In the film is because he wants she wants to help Sota re- re- recover his body and like yeah there is some uh, like motivational shifts in this movie uh, she meets some girls along the way uh, we see like this she meets another seventy year old in another prefecture I think this said it was Ihime like, you know because like she's basically trying to find the cat. Oh yeah, we skipped the part where she pulls out the the cat is apparently the guardian stone of like one of the gates that keeps the worm disaster inside. So the whole plot is they're chasing after this cat who turns Sota into a chair, which I thought was hilarious. Uh yeah. Yeah. Super oddball move. Yeah. But it worked for the movie. Yeah. Also the like the chair has a sentimental significance it's basically suzume's gift her you know birthday gift from her mother and like one of the the lasting possessions she has from from her mom so that was interesting too that everything is kind of weaved into the story and like you get i feel like i I enjoy that gimmick of him being a chair too but yeah she meets like another girl along the way you know, finding sort of like this camaraderie in, a, in another girl who lives in a totally different area, has a totally different mm-hmm. life. She also meets like that that single mom too with those kids who runs yeah. the bar. That 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 was funny too. Oh, and it's what's even funnier in this film is that I think because of the licensing to McDonald's, they were able. <laughs> I, that's just like a minor thing. They were able to finally get a McDonald's sponsorship. And uh, hey, if that if McDonald's helps you to enjoy his films more and advertise, it, I'm all for it. You know, <laughs> this episode of the Anime Waiting Room is brought to you by Burger King. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wouldn't mind, dude, if you gotta pay me the advertiser. Anyways, what also intrigues me is like how much like yeah how much how the presence of the cat is pretty much uh, conveyed through social media in the film. Oh yeah, and how, how they're point. able and like how Susan and Soda are able to track him down easily because of it. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's a good use of modernity. Yeah, I think Shinkai in this one in particular, he's very intentional about 
Suzume is in our world. Only if our world had like supernatural elements. But like she's literally living in the 21st century and he wants us to believe that and like feel a part of that. Um, so that was cool. So yeah, let's talk about Oh yeah, there's some other characters like I think that are important. Like Sota's best friend. He's kind of mm-hmm. introduced a little later in the film, but yeah, what did you guys think about that? Kind of nice oh. having a nice side character who's like, hmm. you know, keeping track of of one of the protagonists the whole time. Oh, I thought the interaction between like uh, Soda's friend and Suzume's aunt was pretty funny because like she thought that like mm-hmm. she thought like Soda's friend was so- was out was trying to take advantage of yeah Suzume. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like victimizing this young girl. <laughs> yeah. Like what's what's also interesting is that like, oh, like he basically conveys that oh, like at first he tells Susan May that, oh, Sota owes me money, but at the end of the at the end of the film, like it's actually revealed to be be the opposite. I don't know what the uh, what the situation is, but like it's something that like Shinkai could definitely expand on. Yeah. There's always these like the juxtaposition of the dramatic elements of his films and then the sort of comedic slice of life parts. I feel like that's what he does really well. Uh, yeah. yeah. What do you think, Drew? And then what do you think about like him introducing these, like these, these deep dive musical hits? I think he talks a little bit about his interview, but what do you think about that? Yeah, that was some fun stuff. Like, first of all, uh, Surizawa, the yeah. best friend character is, He's he's a fun character in the context of the whole road trip. I mean, the other characters you just uh, talked about too, like those were just great characters that you know the main character meets on the path of her journey, and it highlights the journeying aspect or the the traveling aspect of the whole story. And when we get Serizawa here, you know, it it literally becomes a road trip movie because they're mm-hmm. driving around the country in his car until it craps out on them. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the musical choices, I felt like those are probably some Easter eggs for things that Shinkai himself enjoyed or mm-hmm. wanted to draw attention to. I think you guys were telling me earlier uh, that one of the songs that was playing on his radio or his playlist during the car scenes was a piece from Kiki's Delivery Service. Yeah, he, he definitely had that intentionally. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't think I recognized it in the moment, but that is a, a movie I like a lot. Definitely my favorite uh, Miyazaki movie. Yeah, I just didn't recognize the song. Uh, another song that I I recognized from that playlist was the ending theme song to His and Her Circumstances by Hideaki Anno. Ah, like, I think that I think the song in that was used in the the version of the song that was used in his and her circumstances was a cover song of like a classic hit. Mm-hmm. And I think the, I think Susan may played the original version of it, but I I recognize that music. Yeah, for sure. I don't really know what it's about or anything. I can't remember the lyrics, but it was just the musical cue that had me pointing at the screen like that Leonardo DiCaprio gif. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I think Shinkai mentions his interview too. He wants, uh, he wants it to be as if Suzume is growing up on these songs too, or at least for like Ghibli, mm. she like would recognize stuff from her childhood. 
And then, yeah, there's definitely a lot of Easter eggs, I think, for a more Japanese audience who might grow up on music like that. So that, that was Even really the cool. Ghibli stuff, uh, yeah. there, was other, there were other Ghibli references in the movie. Yeah. Because when, uh, when we had those scenes when Daijin, the cat, was appearing all over social media, I think people were comparing him to the cat from Whisper of the Heart. Oh. It's a deep dive, huh? Well, it's another Ghibli film. It's I don't know if I watched that. Yeah. That's a great movie, man. Like I, I love that movie a lot. It's one of my out. favorite Ghibli movies. It's yeah. not by Miyazaki or Takahata, but it's a great movie, man. Cool, nice, nice find. Oh yeah, one more character. Sorry, one more character. I was thinking about a lot. Where, uh, you know, like toward the end of the film, uh, basically the plot is like. You know they they oh they're trying to find the cat and then they found the mother cat but then slowly what uh, Suzume doesn't realize but we're we're like given an inside world into Soda he's like slowly sadly becoming an inanimate or he's being trapped in another realm because of the curse of the cat turning him to a chair he's like slowly losing his humanity and it's like portrayed as him like freezing in ice and he's like losing his humanity so like. Suzume has to like save him and he like becomes the guardian stone or something to keep the worm out of the out of our world. So there's that like scene yeah. where the whole point is the scene there uh Suzume finally finds his grandfather um cuz his grandfather was sick and Sota mentioned him and then there's that cool scene where it's like uh he's just lying there like really sick and he's like oh he must have failed. And yeah. then he's trying to like get up. <laughs> he's like coughing. He's like, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. He's like trying to explain like the importance of their job. Uh, that kind of reminded me when I watched um, Your Name. It's like you know the grand the grandmother, and like how mm. this sort of like yeah, this supernatural spiritual tradition is like passed on from generation to generation. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the other spiritual references were kind of lost on us because we don't know our Japanese mythology too well. But a lot of the stuff about the other world and yeah. the worm and, and and things like that, I bet those are probably references to things that I'm ignorant of. Yeah, me too. I guess... Uh... And... Sorry, Nathan? Oh, I was just going to say that, like... Oh, I think uh, soda turning into ice as a result of being the of being the new keystone is kind of like it's kind of it feels like a callback of like Hina dissolving into water like the more she uses her power. Oh, mm. good do, fun. Do either you feel that way as well? Uh, think that way as well? I do think that the supernatural elements are very important, uh, especially when it's connected to something like disaster or weather. So yeah, I can see that connection for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it mainly because I haven't watched Weathering with You and since it came out in theaters, so it's not like the freshest thing in my mind, but yeah, when I watch it again, I'll definitely have that in mind. Yeah. I guess uh I wanted to talk about like symbols in the movie. And after I watched it, I kind of jotted down a bunch of things that stuck out. 
Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to mention, like, obviously the chair. You know, like, what does the chair represent? And I thought it was like basically, you know, like I said, it's her connection to her mom. If you think about a chair, it's like a very, it's like a very unique chair too. It has eyes, and it was. It was revealed in the movie. It was constructed by hand. It was a carpented chair from her mom. Mm-hmm. So that like adds a, a, a greater layer of significance. What do you think about the chair, Nathan? Hmm. I would say the chair is like, I guess, I guess the chair symbolizes like a keepsake, uh, like like a reminder. Like given that, like in the backstory, Susan May's mother was the one who built the chair for her like yeah it's clearly conveyed that like the chair is of sentimental value of Susan value to Susan May as like yeah like at multiple times throughout the film like one of which I remember is like when he when she's in the car with like the single mother and her two kids and like they start like they start like and those two kids like start uh messing around with the chair which causes Susan May to be concerned mm-hmm a lot of like shock and concern. Yeah, like it's clear, it's clearly conveyed that Susanae's attachment to the the chair as like not just like not just a rem, not just a keepsake of like to remind her of who her mother is, but also the fact that like so does like so does essence is contained inside that chair as well. So yeah, it really provides like so yeah, it's interesting how Shinkai uses that chair as like a double meaning of. Uh, provide subtly conveys uh, like double that double meaning behind the chair. Yeah. In, in spite of that, like one of the big plot holes that like I wish he could have expanded on is like how the chair lost one of its legs, mm. and that which we will never know. Like it could have had like yeah like, and if it had any plot significance, yeah, just a bigger plot significance as to why that chair was missing one of its legs would have been nice as well. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Drew, what do you think about at least the chair or how it's like anchored to Sota in the film? Do you think the cat actually, you know, purposely made him a chair or just like the closest object it could see? I'm guessing it's just the closest object it could see and the most like ridiculous thing it could pick for a human. But one thing that Nathan said uh, I thought was interesting is how pointed out the chair represents uh the keepsake of her mother as mm-hmm. well as actually being the embodiment of Sota himself. Yeah. So in, in a way that chair is Suzume's past and her present. Ooh. Yeah. And when you when you kind of throw in the time traveling element that we see at the end of the movie where her present becomes the future for her past self. Yeah. It kind of goes again to like those year name vibes with the time travel aspect. And I, I wonder if that's just something that Shinkai enjoys. Yeah. The idea of these alternate or older versions of yourself, uh, you know, interacting with the past version. Yeah. He really... Even the place promised in our early days has some stuff about parallel worlds alternate dimensions not exactly 
uh, time traveling, but just the idea of these divergent timelines is interesting because I guess it just shows that those have always been elements percolating in the back of Shinkai's mind. Yeah. I was just going to say, he really likes to connect those ideas past meeting future. Even in your name, it's like, you know, when she, uh, Mitsuha meeting uh, Taki before, three years before they've ever known about each other. So I think he likes to put those elements in. Um, Yeah, actually, speaking of plot holes, I don't think that the chair missing a leg is a plot hole because the story doesn't lose anything for not explaining it to us. But one of the things that always irked me about your name is the fact that both uh, Taki and Mitsuwa have smartphones and uh. they don't realize what the date is. So he never <laughs> realizes that when he was in her body, he was three years in the past. Yeah. It's <laughs> I don't weird. know. I mean, I guess you could chalk that up to just, magic or yeah, it's like a magical you know how like the memories, how memories are disappearing memories kind of fade when you wake <laughs> yeah. up from a dream but yeah. to me that's a that's, that's a bigger plot hole yeah. than the chair missing a leg you got a point it's like yeah it's like oh, you just magically don't know what day it is because with the chair it just feels like oh i mean it's old and it's it went through a, a gigantic earthquake and tsunami and yeah. just the ravages of time like it's not too surprising that it'd be missing a leg. Yeah. I don't know if he has an obsession with shoes, but I think the the way he like uh animates sh- or like the the frames of when people are walking I I thought that was cool. Also, I think the shoes, you know how like Suzume she's trying to save Sota, she t- it's interesting how she puts his shoes on. I mean, obviously mm. her shoes are like lost and wrecked, or one of her shoes is like wrecked, and and, and like she falls down a a, a well or something, <laughs> and yeah. she has to get new shoes. But like I thought so it was a, there's a practical reason to her yeah yeah it's like a but practical there's also, yeah there's also symbolic. symbolic meaning behind it. Yeah, I took it as like yeah she's taking on like the literal shoes, and that symbolizes she's stepping into his role. Uh, you know, mm. like. Mm-hmm. He like comments like, "Oh, you must have a gift, the power." Like she can see this worm, nobody else can. But like now she's like literally, I need to become the closer or whatever to save Sota. I need to like take his place. I'm like determined to do that. Yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah, I never thought about it that way as well. Hmm. Yeah, him literally stepping into of of Susume literally stepping into Sota's shoes. Yeah, <laughs> it was so. I feel like it's so masterfully done. It, like you barely notice it, but then like it occurs to you, like, oh yeah, this is like literal and figurative at the same. I like I like stories that do that. It's like purposeful. Yeah, it also brings me like to the ribbon. I think the ribbon is like a. I feel like it's a recurring symbol throughout some of his movies, at least. I don't know about weathering with you, but your name with the ribbon and yeah. the thread and then this one it's like i think whenever he uses it it's like she's tying her hair that's like determination that's how i like interpret it she's she wanted a purpose right in her life she wanted to feel like she was living her own life 
rather mm-hmm. than just like following in the footsteps of her mom or doing what her aunt tells her all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you guys think yeah. about like stuff like that? The specific scenes where Shinkai like outlines the aspect of her of her uniform or her uh, appearance. Or do you guys see like similar things throughout his movies that he likes to pick these little items or details? Yeah, definitely the ribbit. Well, definitely the uh, definitely the rip the red string on her uniform. It kind of gives me like your name vibes. Mhm. Actually going back to the shoes since you just mentioned oh, sure. like clothes like yeah. uh appearance and stuff. Like I was thinking yeah. how uh even in in something like the Garden of Words, shoes mm-hmm. are a pretty big deal in that story. Like it, it's like a, a central plot element because one of the characters, his dream is to design shoes. Yeah. So, I I don't know if there is anything uh, about ribbons in in the other movies that he's done that I can think of any like recurring motifs or anything. I think in this movie, it's kind of like what you were saying, you know, like it probably does just show some kind of grit or determination in how she's like neatly tying her her ribbon, um, you know, making sure that she doesn't want her hair to get in her way when she's trying to do something that's yeah. going to require a lot of movement. But you could also say, again, like there's a practical element to it, obviously, and if we're searching for some kind of symbolic meaning, I guess it just feels like something to indicate she's determined and trying to make sure that she doesn't have any extraneous distracting her. Yeah, that is interesting. And uh, we talked about, yeah, uh, Shinkai's love for cats. I think the your name has a cat, right? And... Or is that Weathering with You? Weathering with You has a cat. There's a lot of cats. Yeah, but... I forget about your name or Weathering with You, but um, Children Who Chase Lost Voices has cat-like creatures for sure. Yeah. Uh, the Place Promised in Our Early Days has a cat. I mean, his first independent short film was is called She and Her Cat, which oh, is about a house cool. cat. Nice, <laughs> yeah. So I took it like... Obviously, the cat has a specific role in this movie. It's like a guardian of a gate, and it has a mom who's like the twin guardian. But I thought of like you know like bad luck, good luck. You know if there if there's like some kind of symbolism of, it's like almost you know in the film it's like wherever she goes the cat appears, and it's like near the gate. So it's like almost like it's warning them of disaster. But also, it's kind of like preventing. Yeah, it's like preventing disaster, but it's also like a, a bad omen. So I thought it was like a good and bad luck, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what did you guys think about having like two cats, like the mom and the baby cat? <laughs> I thought it provided an interesting dynamic, mm-hmm. and like it really like, it's like even more subtly conveyed when Susan May gets into an argument with her mom. With her aunt. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. never really explained why that, like, it's never really explained why, like, the, why that black cat was possessing her, but, like, yeah, I definitely see some parallels. Yeah. Uh, Drew, what do you think about uh, the inclusion 
of those cats and what they symbolize. I'm not sure how Japanese culture would regard the cat. I feel like in our culture, black cats like a are pet. Like bad or it's luck. bad luck, yeah. Yeah. Um but in the movie they function as keystones, right? So yeah. maybe that scene when the mother cat seems to uh possess or inhabit uh the aunt, maybe that's symbolic of like unlocking all the emotions that she had locked up for all those years. Mm-hmm. So if if the those cats are like keystones to the doors, maybe they can also unlock the truth in people. I don't know. Yeah. I that that's probably a reach, but that's all I got. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that much of the cultural significance either. Uh there's probably something deeper in the folklore of of Japanese culture as well. Yeah. Uh I keep like same thing with the worms and stuff. Like I would... Oh yeah, the worms like I was mentioned next. Like yeah. why is it a worm? Because you know, like in Asian culture, at least Chinese culture, the dragon or like yeah, the dragon is the most intimidating beast. So I would have mm-hmm. thought in terms of Asian uh myth mythology, he might choose like a dragon or something, but um I'm tr- this is probably a reach too. I thought like maybe worms are like you know, because th- there was an earthquake that was the biggest disaster in this film. Maybe the mm-hmm. worms is like they're pushing through the earth or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. I also thought like, oh, yeah, if you cut an earthworm, like it can keep regrowing, right? Worms are like right. things that keep growing. And it seems like the disaster, if not checked, just continued to grow and grow and grow. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point, too. Yeah. Yeah. What I also thought was interesting was how, like, I think in Japanese culture, black is supposed to be like a lucky color, whereas, like, in Western culture, oh. black symbolizes like unluck unluckiness. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Didn't think about that. That could be it too. Uh, let's talk about the the skillful use of doors, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like every film he has is definitely a gateway, right? But he chooses that this one focuses on a door. Uh, oh. I would say that like doors are pretty pretty much. Con- I feel like so, I think ruins are definitely another symbol. Like doors just yeah. being like, just being a symbol with like that's env- enveloped within the symbol of ru within yeah. the symbol of ruins. Because after all, a door is just a gate with a lock and key, right? It's just mm-hmm. another way to connect realms, and he 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 literally does that in this film to connect the living and the dead. Um. I put a note like, yeah, obviously, if I understood Japanese culture better, there would probably be more significance in my mind about these connections. Um, I did think it was it was it was interesting how, you know, like there's all those scenes when they're like trying to push the door down. It's like as if the the realm is like escaping, like the disaster is like bleeding out or something. It's like into our realm and like how Mm -hmm. you know like suzume is like haunted by her past if she passes through it without like having conscious awareness she'll like fall into like this like dangerous realm where she can't come back 
Yeah. Yeah. It like possesses her. So that was interesting how he used the door to like sort of show us, oh, you know, like be careful what you wish for. You want to be reunited with your mom, but this is a dangerous place you don't know about. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I would say that like, uh, yeah, doors are definitely like, uh, yeah, it's interesting how like Shinkai uses doors to like, as a means to like, con as a means to connect to or it's interesting how Shinkai uses doors as a plot device, especially with connecting like, like the living and the dead. Yeah. In Suzume. Mm-hmm. Drew, what do you think about those? You know how he likes to connect different realms together in his movies. How did you? Or what did you think about how he conveyed it in this movie? I think that using the door was a pretty simple and direct way. To mm -hmm. do that, I mean, everybody got to come up with some kind of portal, right? So you yeah. might as well just use a normal door. One of the things about that whole uh, other realm that I thought was interesting, there's a, a little Easter egg reference to children who chase lost voices because Children is a movie uh, also uh, about a, a girl who isn't exactly an orphan, but she lost her father who passed away. Yeah. And uh, there's like, of course, a part of her that's longing for him. And the world that she enters in that movie is called Agartha. And in Suzume, the scene near the end when Suzume and her aunt make it to the ruins of her childhood home and she digs up uh, under the ground to find like her old kid diary inside a lunchbox on the uh, lunchbox the word on the lunchbox is agartha or i don't even know if it's a lunchbox it's a box but it says agartha on it yeah which again is one of those little connections and i don't know if suzume and children who chase lost voices are intended to exist in the same continuity like that's not something i really care about but i thought it was a fun reference and there is quite a bit of parallelism behind or between the two stories. That's a that's a good great connection. Yeah, one thing I wanted to comment in comment about is like the different kinds of doors like we see like throughout the film. Like obviously I guess the first door within the ruins of like is obviously just sitting sitting there in the middle of a body of water. Mm -hmm. And like one of the other doors is like a school a door leading to an abandoned schoolhouse yeah and like i think the last one is uh is that ferris the, wheel yeah the last one is in the ferris wheel and there's also the one in the subway as well a lot of yeah a lot of different creative uses of different types of doors it's like uh and it's interesting like yeah yeah uh sota's the only one with the key right cuz it's his job mm -hmm. it's like He's like, what? Mm -hmm. It's like, where do you get these? I mean, I guess it's like, you know, it's like kind of take for granted. Like, this is his job, so he is somehow has this like magical key to like seal it. <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah, and as yeah. a plot, yeah, and as a plot point, like he literally command, he literally tells his mate, "Oh, think about the people who would inhabit this kind of space, like where the door, in order to generate the keyhole for to close up the door." 
Yeah. That brings me to one of my other uh, symbols, the memories, you know, the memories that connect people to places. I feel like that was that was a skillful like use of uh, an idea, like, you know, the way to open the way to close the door uh, is to like conjure these memories of people's anticipation, their longings, their wishes. I think a lot of it was like, you know, saying goodbye or greeting each other. It's like the idea of memories connecting people to the places. Uh, what do you guys think about trains? <laughs> trains. <laughs> Unless you guys have, do you have anything to share about the memories too? Nothing about the memories, but trains are definitely a recurring oh, yeah, motif in all of Shinkai's movies. Yeah, the trains are very yeah. important to him. Yeah, I think you mentioned it earlier about how like he's always enjoyed going on trains, um, even up to this point, even though he may not have too much time to just go on trips to enjoy the scenery. Yeah. But yeah, like I was saying earlier, um, his interest in trains probably stems from like how much being on trains and looking at the scenery has impacted him. Yeah. So certainly in Suzume and other movies he's done, there's just such an interesting focus on trains and train stations like characters like it would be one thing just to have them like pass through a train station or ride a train to get somewhere but i think every every movie he does like there's always something more than that where the camera will just linger on a scene involving a train where the characters will spend uh their time in a train like they'll have an entire scene in in a train um and you'll get really detailed shots of the train as it's moving you'll get detailed shots of the interior of the train as well as shots from the perspective of a passenger looking outside the window like it's it's just all pervasive in his movies i think and suzume is no different because so much of the movie is about her traveling throughout all of japan like she's not only on a train she spends time on a ship mm -hmm. or a ferry yeah. Uh she spends time in a car. She's riding a bike. Like she's going all over the place yeah. throughout the whole movie. But for some reason those train scenes are the ones that really they seem stick to out. stick out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For sure. I think the train for me was like you know, she's going on a literal journey and you know when you when you when you buy a train ticket it's almost like you've you've committed to this destination. Trains mm -hmm. don't turn around. I mean, they could, but that would be probably very dangerous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> trains <laughs> trains typically only travel in one direction, right? And unlike a car or some other vehicle, you can't even in the film it's it was like, "Oh, you should have she says like, "Oh, you should have like woken me up or you should have told me like the cat was in this location. Now I have to turn around and take another train the other way." It's like it like it's like that idea that she has to choose for herself one direction that she's going. And uh I think Shinkai even says that in his interviews like she's journeying back to her hometown to that place with you know, with with a lot of significance because of the disaster, 
loss of her mom. So this journey is like she has to really commit to it because if she doesn't, she's going to lose her way. You know, she's not she has to choose the courage to 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 do this for herself. And even mm-hmm. if her aunt doesn't want her to drift, she's actually literally making that distance so that she can become her own person. I don't know. That's mm-hmm. what I thought was interesting. Nathan, yeah. you have anything to add? Trains, journeys. <laughs> mm. Well, what really? Well, trains. I wasn't really too intrigued by, but like the notion of like them boarding the ferry was something that really stood out to me. Oh. Yeah, much like trains, like the ferry just goes from one place to another. Yeah. What do you think about her decision to, uh, you know, abandon everything to save Sota? Yeah, it was definitely very bold because, like, yeah, yeah, like, isn't it kind of like the Hodaka trying to save uh, the girl from weathering with you? I I always forget her name. Yeah, because like upon being, yeah, like. Yeah, it's definitely very, it's very bold of her, given that, like, at first, like, like, upon seeing, like, seeing the worm emerge from the gate, and, like, Sota's role in suppressing, like, those disasters by closing the doors, like, she comes to that understanding, yeah, May definitely comes to that understanding that, like, Sota is no ordinary guy. Yeah, he's special, he's got a role, she wants to be kind of like him, she wants to feel like she's got a, a, a sense of purpose. Yeah. Another thing I thought he he loves rain, you know. He really does love rain. But I thought rain was kind of used differently in this film. Obviously, how so? Like weathering with you, obviously it's like they don't like rain, like the whole world floods. It's like mm-hmm. disaster. I'm not sure about your name, but rain is like, you know, it's always seems like more of a disaster or a type of like nuisance in the other films. But in this one, you know, whenever the worm blows up, it's raining peacefully. I thought of it as like, oh, it's almost like the rain is the calming and release of like anger, destruction, and despair. It's like Mm. it's washing the disaster away. And it's like the rain is the release of that destruction every time they like close a gate. And I thought it was cool. It's like there's always like this, yeah, this like gentle rain afterwards with the nice rainbow. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. What do you guys I mean, think? You can't have you can't have a rainbow without rain. Yeah. So it's almost like he flips it. Like in the in the other film, weathering with you, it's like a disaster. But now it's like, oh, this is peaceful. This is this is nice. Rain is a pretty major element of the Garden of Words as well. Mm. Most of the movie takes place during a rainstorm. Ah. And like so many scenes just have rain or the after effects of rain. And I think in that movie, I would say that the rain symbolizes the sort of chaos and inner turmoil of the characters. You yeah. know, it's a storm and they're in the storm of their lives in that movie. But yeah, it just goes to show that you can still use something like that in a different way, like in Susan May. Yeah. Nathan, did you did you kind of what did you think about it and how I used the rain in this film? Since you watch Weathering with you. Mm. 
honestly, uh, I guess in regards to weathering with you, like, like rain is often ha it's it's clear that rain has like a negative connotation, but yeah. like, but like in Suzume, it's hmm, it didn't really I didn't really pay too much attention to rain, to the rain in, as a symbol in that film, to be honest. Oh, for Suzume. Right. Yeah. I I kind of I noticed it just like briefly I think because it's so well animated <laughs> it's like wow it's like this peace it makes you feel like peaceful the way he used raid in this one it was like oh it's nice and calm now yeah mm -hmm. it's definitely an interesting contrast yeah mm -hmm. very skillful the last symbol I would say is actually one Shinkai talks about himself which I didn't notice until I listened to his interview he basically says he wants us to see Suzume as like paralleling the earth it, like the it's like the earth ha Japan has gone through all these uh wounds and and disasters these ruins right and mm -hmm. Suzume is also going through these uh this kind of inner turmoil accepting her past so he says like the journey is sort of her as the gates are closing it's like her own wounds are closing uh what do you guys think about that when what he's what his vision is for that yeah i thought it was an interesting way he that was it was interesting like the way he put that like the ruins are supposed to like represent wounds and like like susan made and sota's journeys to like close those doors are are supposed to convey closing those wounds mm. and especially in the midst of all those natural disasters yeah yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't considered that, but it makes sense to me. Yeah. So that's a yeah, he's just really good at, at at providing details and letting you sort of think about it, reflect about it. Uh yeah, there's some major themes I think we mentioned before coming of age, the natural disasters. Uh let's kind of talk about the main journey for the film like suzume is dealing with loss and like how is that how did how do you think like suzume's journey is sort of a little in this film is like diff a little bit different than the other films the other protagonists in their films like what do you think is more emphasized in this film what are your thoughts on that oh me I'll let you go first uh, I think like we we haven't quite seen a film where from start to finish like the protagonist has to deal with it, right? Because like your name, it's mentioned she lost her mother, but either than the connection of the of the place of her birth or whatever, it isn't really. I don't think that's like the emphasis of the film. Weathering with you is kind of like also. Yeah, it's also mentioned she loses her mother, but it's like there's a different sort of uh, emphasis on the plot. But this one is like, this is her, this is all about Suzume. And then maybe that's why it's called Suzume, because <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. this is her whole journey start to finish. Like, mm -hmm. there is a beginning, and then there's a conclusion. And Sota's sort of just there to provide a very interesting narrative premise and to give her like a purpose for going on a journey i feel like 
in this one, they really want us to see how her emotions are. She has to deal with grief, right? She has her younger self who is crying because she's like, where's my mom again? And then the fact that he uses time to connect her future self into her past. I thought that was really powerful. That was probably my favorite scene when she has to basically tell her younger self, like, it's okay. You know, you're going to, you're going to feel this way for a long time, but one day it's going to be better. I guess that's what, like, that's what was the most powerful in this film is that she had to like sort of be her own guide, her own, Mm -hmm. her own mother. (laughs) No, sorry. That sounds weird. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm not I, going I think that I know far. what you mean. I think <laughs> I know gonna... what you mean. No, that does she... sound weird, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's her own guy. She's her own, like, I don't know, spiritual, whatever, leader, shaman. <laughs> nah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nathan, any thoughts about, like, how this film is, like, a little bit different or in terms of, like, exploring loss, grief? Hmm. Yeah, like... I would say that, like, it uses, I would say it definitely does a good job at using natural disasters as a catalyst for loss, like, and it's not, it's definitely not the first time that, like, Shinkai uses, like, like, the loss of one's mother as a plot point, as previously seen in, in your name, but yeah, like, loss is definitely a lot, yeah, like, loss is definitely a lot, is, is definitely emphasized a lot deeper in Suzume. And, uh, given, oh, and, like, it's interesting how, like, Suzume's motives, like, change, like, suddenly shift from, oh, like, helping Soda, like, capture Daijin, to shift from, like, oh, visiting her, her ruined hometown, all at the hint of, like, all from receiving a hint from Soda's grandfather about, like, the origin of, the nature of, like, the worm, and, like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it basically ties like using loss as a means to be the, like the result to be like the byproduct of tying both Suzume and Soda's motivations together is like yeah really uh, yeah it's definitely like amazing beautiful indeed hmm. yeah kind of like she comes full circle by the yeah. end of the movie she sees her younger self gives the movie uh that sort of emotional closure because now you get the impression that she's not that she's forgotten her mother or anything but she's at peace now you know like emotionally at peace being able to resolve some of the emotional struggles that she had been dealing with for 12 years yeah yeah, it's interesting how, like, yeah, I thought it was very heartwarming how she met her younger self and, like, just gave her words of encouragement, like, along with, like, the chair she's been holding on. Yeah. It's really another, that's definitely a subtle way for, that's definitely an interesting way about, like, how Shinkai reuses the notion of uh, time travel. Mm-hmm. For sure. That's a big theme. Like, yeah, the flow of time, rather than we see it linearly, it's like a circle, or it's like it's all connected. 
And it's also interesting she has to deal with like the her whole life she's wanted to to like separate herself or try to move on, but she has to like journey back to her hometown. It's like her journeying back to her past and having to deal with that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about like the themes of like separation, distance, connection. Like how do sort of people, ideas connected to these places, and like how does Shinkai convey the importance of like the places that they visit? Yeah, I feel like those ideas play out on multiple levels here because, mm-hmm. in a way, it's it is related to her sense of grief and loss. Yeah, throughout the movie too, just the the loss of her mother. There's a separation there because she doesn't have a loved one. Um, but but then, like on a physical level, there's the literal distances that she yeah. has to cross in order to get to these gates or these doors and close them up again. Mm-hmm. But there's also an emotional distance at play between her and Tamaki, her, her aunt, you know, they're, they're essentially mom and daughter themselves, Mm -hmm. but there's a distance because they don't communicate everything openly. Like they have inkling suspicions of how the other person feels about the situation that they've lived through. Yeah. But they've never really um, articulated it to each other with full transparency and I think that's causing um, a barrier to rise up between them that they don't realize until um, the adventure goes underway. Yeah. And of course, the the connection happens. It's not only when her aunt physically, you know, catches up to her, but after they go through the rest of the ordeal with each other um, at each other's side, you know, then they have that connection again and not only between her and her aunt but it's also between suzume and her younger self uh on some level it's also suzume and and sota so like yeah like all of these ideas and themes work on multiple levels and you can analyze all the different layers i I think what i said is only just a handful of them yeah we could definitely look at many many more hours we could talk about but I just enjoyed, yeah, I enjoy how he brings these out in his films and makes these connections. Um, Do you guys have any questions when you watch the film? Anything you wondered you wanted yeah. him to more explore? Oh, I just wanted to say, like, oh, before we go on, I just wanted to say that, like, I guess, uh, like, in Susan, in, in Shinkai's last three films, it seems like the loss, like, like the female main character like losing their mother is definitely something recurring I've noticed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like, like Yeah, do you think Shinkai does that intentionally? Specifically with or mothers? Just, with mothers, yeah. Yeah, like I think so. Yeah. I don't know if he has something in his in his uh, personality where he's like, I love characters who <laughs> don't have parents or who don't have mothers. <laughs> but yeah, when he when his characters are like that in multiple movies, you can't help but think, oh, it's strangely common in his stories 
yeah. has characters who are missing a parent. And I guess part of that probably does reflect some idea of how kids who grew up without one or both of their parents are missing something to an extent. But um, to his credit, I don't think he leaves these characters feeling a constant sense of loss or emptiness because by the end of their stories, they always realize that they're okay, you know? Like they've they've got something to fill that void in their lives, even if there is some sadness at not having a mother, yeah, or a father, or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Great yeah. Point. I definitely, I definitely seen it with like, yeah, the notion of like, oh, if there's one thing that like Mitsuha, Hina, and uh, Susan may all have in common, it's like, oh, the loss of their mother, their mothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did notice that too. That just adds the additional layers to these characters, which helps us to have sympathy for them. And yeah, adds to the emotional complexity of his films. Uh, one question that I did have was like, well, it was maybe not so much of a question, but like, I was, uh, I wanted to know more about Sota himself. Like, why does he sort of is it just like a sense of duty why does he take this upon himself um do you think he ever questions like uh you know why am i doing this or is it like that sense of like if i don't do this the whole world's gonna end Hmm. if for me it feels like if i don't it feels like more like if i don't do this the whole world's going to end (laughs) yeah but like I feel like, um, you know how, like, uh, in your name, uh, Mitsuha kind of resents her, her role? Like, I, I wish I could, like, get a little more insight into Sota. I guess it's, like, briefly mentioned, right? It's, like, it's just something he does because it's his job. But he also it's wants the, to be their a family teacher. line. Yeah. Their duty. Yeah. So... Uh, I guess all is to say, like, uh, I wish they explored a little bit more about Sota. Give him, but I think like I got enough of him, his personality, to understand him. And I guess he wasn't like the the major focus of this film, so I understand that too. Maybe part of it is because he spends so much of the movie as a chair. It's easy to forget <laughs> him as a character yeah. because he he's he's an object. But mm-hmm. even as a chair, he has a lot of agency in the movie he yeah i I would still i I think i'd need to rewatch the movie to fully appreciate all the depths of the characters yeah but definitely reflecting back on uh my one viewing of it i probably did neglect soda as a character because he was a chair (laughs) yeah you don't get as much of his um personality i feel like there are enough hints of his backstory and why he does what he does but i probably just wasn't paying close enough attention or you know it's just something that i would pick up if i watched it again yeah i i especially want to rewatch the scenes with uh the dying grandfather just to oh. learn more about the the family because i i remember those scenes happened but i don't really remember all the specifics of what the guy said to Suzume. 
Yeah, a rewatch for sure would help us a lot. Hopefully it comes out in DVD or something, Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Nathan, do you have any questions about the film? Yeah, like, I guess my only qu- Yeah, one of the questions I have is, like, is it, it's never really... Why exactly? What were the circumstances that caused, like, the chair to lose one leg? <laughs> That's really bugging you, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Why? Because, like, given that, like, Susan May's mother was the one who built her the chair, and, like, there needs to be some kind of plausible explanation for as to why it had it lost one leg why in the present. And, like, if it's somehow connected to, like... And if it's somehow connected to her past, then they would all, it would, like, it would definitely make a lot more sense now. Well. Okay. Yeah, and, like, and another question I have is, like, in regards to, like, in regards to, like, Daikin's nature, it seems like, oh, it seems like at, when I first watched the film, it, it was clear to me that, like, he was some kind of, like, troublemaker who, like, who Susan May unintentionally released and started, like, causing trouble by opening up the doors, but, like, at the end, like, all his motivation was, like, he wanted to spend time with Susan May. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yet why would he go through all the trouble of, like, like opening up the doors and, like, leading, leading Susan May and Soda just, like, go to the, like, go to immense, like, immense trouble in closing them? Yeah. Well, well I- he was also leading them... Uh, so they could find the other doors too. I think. Yeah, I think it was like mentioned that Suzume, yeah, like misunderstood his intentions. Like, yeah, he wanted I to be see. free, but it was almost as like he was like oh, helping right. them to find yeah. the solution. He uh, wasn't purely doing all that just to lead him on a wild goose chase, or yeah. to be a troublemaker, or to be naughty. I think they realized he was actually leading them to the trouble spots that they needed to be in order to close the other doors. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that and explains it a little bit. Oh, yeah. The film could definitely expand more on like those like those larger forms that Daikin and Saitajin take. Oh, like when they battle the worm at the end of the movie? Yeah. They're they're cats. I guess uh cats grow up fast, man. Cat your age. <laughs> Yeah, that's a creative way to portray them, for sure, if they're, like, guardians or whatever. Hmm. It's an interesting hmm. thing. Uh, not the first giant cat I've seen. Um, yeah. It was kind of cool. Closing thoughts on the film before we, he- you know, head out. Hmm. Yeah, like... I would say that Susan May is like another successful attempt at like at Shinkai using the whole boy meets girl. Boy meets girl. Girl plotline. Yeah, girl meets boy. Girl meets boy. Yeah. Yeah. Except like, except this time he has like the focus be in contrast to like your name, which has like, which give like Taki and Mitsuha like both equal importance and like, and weathering you, which gives like Hodaka like being at the center like yeah it's, it's mm-hmm. nice to hear that like that Suzume is now like Shinkai intends for Suzume to have like a female lead yeah yeah 
kind of yeah. gives a nice uh, trilogy feeling to those three movies. Like, not trilogy in the sense that they're all connected, but like a conceptual or thematic trilogy of sorts. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting how, like, he combines aspects of, like, your name, particularly, like, in your, na- in your name, like, it has, like, a subtle mention of, like, ruins of, like, 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 the ruins of, like, Itam- Itamori, which is, like, mm-hmm. which is Mitsu's hometown destroyed by a comet, and, like, he basically expands on that in Suzume while reusing, like, the roles of, like, Reusing like the same pl- a similar plot structure in Weathering with You, in which the Deuterakinist has like some kind of supernatural ability to them. Yeah. That- so yeah, I like how like yeah, it's interesting in retrospect. It's interesting how Shinkai reuses those elements in his previous two films in Suzume. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Drew, what are your closing thoughts? Well, I would just reiterate that I loved the movie. I'm looking forward to viewing it again. It's something that I hold in high regard. It works as a culmination of Shinkai's movies. I was just thinking like what piece of each of the different movies he's made has an impact on Suzume and I feel like Suzume has the the spectacle of your name. It has the action and pacing of weathering with you. It has the visual detail of the Garden of Words. The emotional profundity and supernatural wonder of children who chase lost voices. It highlights the mundanity of ordinary life, like five centimeters per second. And it also has the longing that we feel in the place promised in our early days. So, yeah, just seeing like all the elements and pet themes and ideas that Shinkai loves to go back to uh, come into in Suzume it's pretty satisfying as somebody who likes to consume multiple works from the same director I feel like it's just a another uh, addition to the feast of his filmography yeah I can see that uh, my closing thoughts is that for sure you should go watch Suzume <laughs> and if you can in theaters especially and I really enjoyed just all yeah his skillful his skillful filmmaking and taking things he's incorporated from his other films and sort of he's trying to like build upon it perfect it i don't know if he'll continue i mean how many more he'll continue to do but i always enjoy watching his films i definitely would recommend his other films we talked about your name we talked about Weathering With You, Garden of Words, Children of Chase Lost Voices. I'll have to go back and check out his earlier works too, just so I can formulate a nice opinion on sort of how does he kind of uh, evolve as a filmmaker over time. And also mm-hmm. to appreciate some of his earlier influences too. Watch his films, guys. Everyone's probably going to have a different one that they like the most. It's whatever resonates with you, but Shinkai definitely is an expert filmmaker, and I think he has some of the best animation I've seen in my life. So Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's what I'd say. Uh, so yeah, here... Yeah. Sorry, what were you, Nathan, what were you say? Oh yeah, I just wanted to comment, like, yeah, I would feel that like Tsutsume is a culmination of like, yeah. of like aspects he previously explored in previous films. This time, like... 
the central fo- given that he was inspired that by the 2011 Tohoku earthquake, it's clear like I like how he emphasized more of the like the natural disasters element as a plot point. Yeah, that was very skillfully used in this film. All right, thank you guys for the very fruitful discussion. Now we come to the segment of our podcast that I call the Doctor's Orders. This is the Doctor's Orders. Take your medicine. So this is the section of our podcast where we basically give one recommendation each about a a film, a work, a series, a manga that sort of incorporates the ideas of the series or film that we watched. Like I said, my favorite of Shinkai's works currently is Your Name, so I'll just say go watch Your Name. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce the Japanese name. That's like the (laughs) one film I can't pronounce the Japanese name. Like, (laughs) I don't know what it is about those words. I'm not, like, I can't, I can't say your name in Japanese. So just go watch your name. If you Google your name, it's probably going to be Shinkai's film anyways. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, my recommendation, your name, because I think personally, I really like the way he, without I guess, I mean, we were probably spoiled a little bit. Without spoiling it, I'll just say, like, there's a dual narrative in that one, especially, that's really emphasized going back and forth. Um, There's some mysterious sort of things, like Suzume, and there's, like, a really profound concept of, like, the way he plays with, like, time. So that's what I'll say about that film. All right, Drew. What is your recommendation? Okay, so my initial recommendation is Shinkai's film Children Who Chase Lost Voices. I mentioned that was my that is my favorite Shinkai movie. Yeah. And it's another story about a teenage girl who is missing one of her parents. In this case, it's her father. So she's got a sense of loneliness about her, a sense of loss, and the story deals with grief and you know coming to terms and processing those emotions uh but another um recommendation came to my mind earlier when we were while we were talking because we were saying how uh because the earthquake was such an impact on Shinkai's story mm-hmm. in Suzume and you were saying how in the interview that you watched he was talking about how uh, he kind of grappled with the idea of merely being a filmmaker yeah. when when the nation was when his country was dealing with such a an unimaginable disaster. Yeah, it made me think of a manga that I read um, a few months ago, and something that I've still been thinking about to this day because it just left that big of an impact on me. But it's. A one-shot manga called Look Back by Tatsuki Fujimoto. He's the creator of Chainsaw Man. And while I don't personally love Chainsaw Man or anything, I do love Look Back because that's a story about two girls who love comics, who love manga, they love drawing, and and they start off in the story as uh, teenagers or young teenagers who just like the craft of drawing and 
have aspirations of making manga. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to spoil anything because it's such a good story. Yeah. It it ends up becoming something that's more than just two kids wanting to be the best at what they do. I mean, there's certainly elements of that where they strive to practice their art and their drawing to be better creators. But it ends up becoming a story about why does art matter and why do we care about art when, you know, tragedies or more serious things in life seem like they should take precedence and, you know, rightfully are in the public consciousness. So like in in light of all the things going on in the news or in reality, what does it matter? What does creating art matter? Like, why is it, why should we care about art? And I think the way he tells that story is just something that's really thought-provoking and really moving. So I'd recommend that. Cool. Thanks. Uh, Nathan, do you have recommendations? For recommendations? Uh, I guess one film that I'm hoping to get into is called Earwig and the Witch. And... Yeah, like, what really intrigues me about it is uh, how it's Studio Ghibli's attempt at, like, making a 3D animated film. Oh, cool. So it's, like, a coming, it's coming out. Well, it's all, it's already out. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, it came out a couple years ago. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm curious just because it is Ghibli. I'll note that. Yeah, and, like, yeah, and, like, another anime that recently caught my attention is called Shiro Bako, which is, like, an anime about making anime. Cool. Yeah, that's definitely on my radar. I've, I've wanted to watch that for a while, too. All right. Once again, thank you, Nathan, for joining us as our first guest on this podcast. We always yeah, appreciate... To be here. Yeah, we always appreciate having more than more than two or three perspectives, you know. Drew and I could probably talk for hours, but it's good, it's, it's good to hear someone else's perspective as well. Having another person with us Reminds us to put a cap and a limit on how long we talk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even it, though I think this episode's still already pretty long. Yeah, for sure. I didn't expect it, but you know, we just—it's just Shinkai is that good. You know, it's like yeah. you, I just get excited. All right, so just a quick plug for our links. Uh, they've recently changed Anchor, so I'll just say you can find us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you find our podcast as The Anime Waiting Room. And I can put a link in our description as well. Find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash A-N-I Waiting Room. That's A-N-I Annie Waiting Room. And uh, Drew, you have a podcast as well. Why don't you plug yeah. that? My other podcast is called Between the Gutters. We talk about comics, including manga, and occasionally we even talked about anime, uh, specifically when that anime adapts a manga. Uh, if you want to check out our podcast, uh, just look up Between the Gutters on Spotify or whatever podcatcher you prefer. We have a link tree, um, link tree slash between the gutters, or all of our links on social media, so you can check us out. Thanks. Cool. Awesome. All right. Once again, I'd like to thank our loyal listeners, and we will be reviewing Space Battleship Yamato 2199 
in our next episode. So thank you for tuning in. And as always, we appreciate your listening and your support. All right. Say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, Goodbye, guys.